0: Welcome to United Against Silence. I'm Sima Reza, the CEO of Community Building Artworks, a nonprofit organization that connects veterans, healthcare workers, and civilians through workshops led by the artists of our time. Each week, we interview an artist to find out about their process and how they've overcome silence in their lives. Hari Alori is the author of The Flayed City, a winner of the 2020 Leonard A. Slade Jr. Poetry Fellowship and an editor at Locked Horn Press. He has received grants from the BC Arts Council and the Canada Council for the Arts and fellowships from Las Dos Brujas, Port Townsend, and Vona Voices Writers' Workshops. His work appears in the Watch Your Head and Pandemic Solidarity anthologies, as well as recently in Prism International, Solstice, Tinderbox, The Volta, and elsewhere. He spearheaded and edited CBAW's own anthology, We Were Not Alone, and is a frequent facilitator of CBAW workshops and an essential member of our community. Welcome, Hari. I'm so, so, so glad to be in conversation with you. Um, Mutual. And in, in all of these ways that we have been in conversation, um, I met you years ago through our dear friend, Cynthia Oka, Cynthia Tewe Oka, um, who is a facilitator for us and is, is coming back, soon and contributed, of course, to We Were Not Alone. Yep. Um, and I really feel like our relationship, though it was like, it was love at first sight, like friend love, right at the beginning, we started goofing off and, and doing some miming. Um, That's right. Our, our creative and activism connection has grown during this time that we've been home. Yeah. Um, which is a really beautiful gift of these years and of these virtual workshops. So super grateful for the ways that you've expanded um, my, my understanding of community through your, you know, just knowing you as a person, and then also our actual community at Community Building artwork. So super grateful to have you here. Um,
1: it's uh, like it's one of those things, right? The, uh, the gifts you don't see coming, even though like, you know, you're, you know, your homies and you know, you're doing your thing, but then like to start showing up, um, to the workshops and just being there week after week. Um, you almost feel guilty. I almost feel guilty sometimes for like, what a gift it's been.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. It, it, exactly what you're talking about. And I think what's, you know, struck me so much about, about the way that you move through the world in the past, you know, years that I've, I've been able to witness it close and far is your collaborative spirit and your, and the patience that collaboration takes and your capacity for that patience. Because I think it's somewhere where I personally struggle. And those are the things that you notice and other people you're like, Holy crap. Um, and it really showed up in this work you did at the helm of the anthology. I was sent you an email last week saying, people keep thanking me for the anthology. I feel like they're thanking me for your work because it really was you. I didn't see the anthology, um, I mean, until you put it together, right? You and the readers did this work. Um, and I, I, you know, I sort of like briefly witnessed some of the emails flying by and, some of the meeting titles as you were meeting and planning how folks should respond to other people's work and how to frame those conversations. Um, because, you know, I always say at the heart of community is communication and collaboration to go successfully requires really clear boundaries and also really respectful communication. And then, of course, we're working with. The work of people's hearts, right? Yeah. Their poems, yeah. um, and so it's you, it's it's sacred sacred work. Can you talk a little bit about how you and that extraordinary group of readers um, went about that task for the anthology?
1: Yeah, it was like I'm just gonna begin by 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 naming the readers. You know, Amelia Bain, Shuli Sochal, K. Wood. Priti Kordaliwal, D'Artania Hull, Arthur Kazakian, Diana Osborne, Deanna Osborne, Martha Peterson, Eric Schwab, Ben Weekly, Kendra Whitfield, and and Wood were, like, amazing, you know? I would assign people poems to read or pieces to read, and, like, minutes or hours later, at least one person was on it, you know? So I think that part of it... Sorry. I'm
0: going to interrupt briefly and say that yeah. that list of people includes veterans yeah. from multiple eras, it includes healthcare workers, it includes CBW board members, civilian poets, published and emerging writers. So really diverse range of people.
1: Yeah. Such a such a such a such an amazing crew of folks and I think that like really that's a lot of the folks who could make it from the group of us. Um, who we're meeting every Friday morning, you know, Mm. that's who that is. And then of course we've got the design from, from Garrett, which is like hours and hours and hours of patience on his part. I think when, um, when I heard your question, the stuff that like jumped right out at me, you know, in terms of intentionality was like, first we gather, you know, and we needed to, we needed to know what our goals were and we needed to know how we were going to support each other to make them happen you know and the first thing that made it easy apart from like the amazingness of the folks themselves was that we were looking to try and include one piece of work from everybody who sent something in so our like choice was like just moving towards our joy you know we weren't trying to like tell this person or this person or this person that they weren't going to be in the anthology. We were just choosing what we wanted to welcome most and what we Mm -hmm. wanted to share most, you know? And so like beginning from that place, I think really helped us like in our reading process, be like, this is the one that I want most for most people to read, you know? And I mean, we made our guidelines, you know, in community, I had some, that I wanted to make sure that we had in terms of like, how do we approach reading other people's work? How do you make sure that you're not going to run into your own work and like read other people's comments on it, even as we welcome folks to like, you know, speak generously towards each other's work, you know? Um, We're so sensitive writers. And so like, you know, someone being like, I love this one more than this one might be like, but I love that poem so much. Why do you hate me, you know?
0: That's exactly (laughs) right.
1: Like that's what we're like as human beings and as writers. And so like we wanted to welcome folks to move as much with their joy as possible. And as much with like, with like, what moves you the most, what troubles you the most, what makes you like, what really makes you want to share it the most and be like this, look at this over here, this, I want you to read this so bad, you know? And I think that's where we, where we met. And You know, there were ones where Folks would send in three amazing pieces And the, like, the most difficult moments Were when multiple people loved multiple pieces In a packet of three, you know And I might have a favorite And Arthur might have a different favorite And we had to figure out, like Again, back to, like What's the one we want to share most with the world? What's the one that we, like we needed most and therefore we think that other people might need most, you know, what does the most to us, for us. And, um, you know, one of the things that you talk about in workshop and actually that's one of the things we did was the, um, the guidelines for, for when we go to sit down and write, you know, we started with those guidelines for what we're Mm going to read, you know, we're like, let's share the stuff that feels the most true. Let's share the stuff that feels the most needed over, you know, like what might be the prettier poem, for example, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know? And so we started with those things in mind. And by starting with those things in mind, um, yeah, I really think we got to the heart of a lot of poems with a lot of heart. Yeah, That's what we have, like in the readings, like, you know, like one piece after another, like hits. And the people who are receiving them are like, Wow. You know, I've had people respond like they're like, I don't know if I could have handled three more readers <laughs> and not because it was like long, but because it was like so much emotional truth, you know, in a short time. And I think that that's what we made, you know.
0: Yeah. And I have been I've been seeing that in the readings as we've had two so far. And it's like there is not a dull moment. There's not a moment. And you know, we have this combination of, some people it's their very first time being published this anthology. Um, And we moved from a place, it sounds like of inclusivity, right? Like Mm -hmm. how do we include everyone? Um, Which so much of the industrial art complex is about creating exclusivity, creating this like narrow, narrow lane. Um, And we have this range of really established kind of international voices in poetics alongside people who are being published for the first time. And one of the things that I've heard from people, uh, from, from these facilitators, from these, you know, writers who's, whose work we've been enjoying and admiring for so long at the end of the readings, I'll get a note or a, or a text message that's like, oh, that's what poetry is for this, thank you for this night. This is a reminder of what poetry is supposed to be about. Um, And it is about communication. It is about conversation. Um, And you've arranged the anthology in such a way that, you know, like, of course the title is We Were Not Alone, but even our poems are not alone, right? In this anthology, it's like they have this company, they're sandwiched between each other, they're responding to one another. And I've never seen a book like this before, where the poem, one poem inspires the next, and you can see this sort of narrative thread between unrelated authors. Can you Mm. talk about like how you made that happen or, I mean, it's interesting to be creating art, using other people's art, because the anthology Mm. is a piece of art that you created using these individual pieces um, from a group of other artists.
1: I think it, you know, <clears throat> for me anyway, it really goes back to making actual mixes and actual mixtapes and wanting to put, you know, two songs that might not be about the same thing beside each other because of how the beats remind each other of each other. Mm-hmm. How, like, there might be one melody that carries through from one song to the next. And so I've always thought of arrangement a little bit like that. And then when we like when I'm sitting and looking at the manuscript and this, and it was especially when we started to receive the inspiration poems. Cause so many of these poems are written directly after like you or another facilitator will share a poem in a workshop and then folks will sit down and write, you know, mm-hmm. and some might explicitly use language from the previous poem. And some might just have these like, like melodic, like melodic echoes that you wouldn't it's otherwise. vibration knew. of the poem. Exactly exactly at the vibrational level the poems are related um they were forged in a relationship with each other and so when i started to see those pieces show up um and we requested folks to be like please you know as much as you can remember and sometimes we would like folks wouldn't remember. And we would like go digging through the archives, you know, especially you would go digging through the archives to yeah. be like, what was the connection? What did I share that day? Was it like March? Or was that like, yeah. was that like late January? And then you go back and you'd find, you know, like, like, what are the relationships? And, um, and it just really felt like that was the most natural through line, you know? Yeah. And so there is some, you know, and again, because of that, um, some of it is arranged uh, temporally, like in time, like there's a loose and it's not, it's not total, right. But there's a loose, you know, like almost archive of one year of pandemic that flows a little bit like that. But it is, um, but it is more like a, it is more like I'd say that they're like relationships within the poems is more primary, you know? And so you've got the, you've got the inspiration poems, you've got the poems that have like relationships with them. And every so often you'll have like one poem that sets off three or four that are in the, you know, that are in the, uh, in the final, in the final book. Um, And I love those moments. And I find that I, then I found that like, you would find relationships between, poems also that were not necessarily directly you know because it be like one poem and one poem together or like one poem and three poems together and then how do you arrange them overall and then those kinds of like themes started to emerge and I find that um I find that when you're working with other people's work um one of the things that I love most, and I learned this from ching Chen when she did this really cool thing called the Collaborative Manifesto Remix Project, like a bunch of years ago. And what I learned from about my own writing in that process was that, like, you can take stuff that isn't yours, right? If you follow, mm-hmm. if you, like, just take a bunch of stuff and follow, like, what calls you the most, if you're really listening to what calls you the most, um, your obsessions will emerge and so what comes up afterwards will be like like as accurate a representation of your own obsessions as if you had sat down to write yourself and sometimes even more so because when we sit down to write ourselves we'll often like look away from the things we want to look at
0: most you know
1: because we're scared to write them but when you see them then you pull them towards you you know, and I think that that's what happened with this is that like the poems saw each other and called themselves towards each other or called each other towards themselves. And that's how the arrangement kind of happened.
0: And I, I think like, I mean, it, it's so beautiful to to pay attention to your obsessions as a reader, as a writer, as, you know, that it's, it's our obsessions may be the the thing that makes us who we are. Yeah, um, I think so. And I think it's also... What you said about the temporal sort of arc—we were all, though we were in all of these different places, we were never in the same room, yeah. Um, literally. Yeah, we were experiencing the world together in such—and it, it's the globalization of news. It, you know, there, there are all of these this confluence of all of these things that's made it that way, particularly, but even generally, like. There was never a time that any art was created without the context of the era in which it was created, right? Mm, there yeah. is, I think it's Rebecca Solnit who said, There's nobody who's ahead of their time, or was it adrian Rich? Because if you wrote know. it, you're in your time, right? You're not right. ahead of your time, you're right in your time. And yeah. that, I think, is such an interesting thing about all of these poems is that even if, you know like there there's this sort of like we were in the same trauma sometimes yeah. there were wildfires sometimes there were earthquakes you know and each week there was something t- for us to come and sit around the table and whether we grappled with it directly or not um, many of the same themes emerge in in that collective space
1: you're reminding me of um um there was there's there's a podcast called heat rocks that i love and they had a dj on and they asked these three questions it was like was it ahead of its time you know was it of its time um or was it um like behind the times you know and the response was it was right on time and i feel like that's the like like when you you know whether it was um whichever of those poets he named said it, you know, like, that is the thing, like all of these poems, when they happened, they happened right on time, you know, yeah. and they were made like, like you said, we were never in the same room together, but we were like always in the same time together. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and it, again, regardless of time zone, we were in the same moment together. You know, and regardless of place, we were, um, we were in the same time together. There's a hummingbird flying in front of me. Um, You know, and like whether it was moments of violence, police violence, whether it was moments of like, of like, when um, pandemic restrictions hit, you know, differently in different places. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there were so many people with individual griefs, you know, as well as a collective griefs that like we're able to and are able to continue to like support each other in those moments. You know, when people are willing to look at what's coming up for them the most, then other people are able to witness and able to like connect to what they need to connect to the most. And I think that that runs again, it runs like all the way through this, um, all the way through this anthology, but it does that because it runs all the way through the work that CBAW does, you know? Yeah. and the artists that are invited, and uh, um, and the questions that you ask, you know, the questions that we ask, like you said, if there's, like, our obsessions lead to our questions, and then the ones that we're, like, willing to grapple with the most are the ones that we're going to put on the page, you know, and sometimes they're hiding, and, like, they find their way through anyway, you mm-hmm. know, and that shared space allows us to, like, return to them and, like, return ourselves to ourselves in that way even as we're sharing time you know those like mm-hmm. writing moments we're really like able to return to ourselves in ways that so many other practical uh, practices and um, conditions of our world prevent us from, from doing yeah
0: and and you know on the on the topic of griefs Right, as our community has been meeting for all of these years um, now, but you know, month after week after week after week, and people are going through these kinds of losses, grappling with personal illness or the loss of parents. um, I'm reminded again and again of how. When my father died, one of the things my mother and I would marvel at once in a while was the size of our grief and the fact that it's not extraordinary, right? That this is something that everyone goes through and everyone feels it this big. And at the same time, we feel like, how could anybody survive this size of grief? Um, And the heart of like, a, a I think the thing that's very useful about a community in which people are grappling with their griefs aloud is that you learn how to grieve. You learn from somebody in a different season than you. Mm-hmm. Um, so Any of the spaces that we're in are like limited. You know, we're always talking about which generation are you, Gen X, are you millennial, are you whatever? Yeah. We're always talking about these ways that we are within a sliver of um, a group, but being in a place where people are at different, different ages and and different stages of whatever it may be. I've learned so much about how to grieve, which is really the other side of how to love. Yeah. Right. That's right.
1: Um, That's right. You can't have grief without love. No. You wouldn't need it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You wouldn't wouldn't need need it. it, You know?
1: And so, yeah. And so like you say, the flip side of that is that like, is that um, if you have love, you must always have the potential for grief. you know. And yeah. if you have grief, then there's also the potential for love. Yes, the
0: capacity is. The is,
1: capacity is there, right? Because the you would Yeah. It wouldn't be possible without. So, that's um, that's. I mean, and, and again, when we talk about, we mentioned early like how lucky we are, and how like sometimes we feel a bit of guilt about that. Like that's the other pieces. There's like in the process, we've always had joy, you know, Mm. and, um, like someone will share a piece that makes us laugh, you know, we specifically have comedy workshops and, you know, comedians can be some of the, um, best poets at dealing with grief, you know, and, um, and also like sharing space in a room almost always has a potential for joy. You know, because that's like, I always think of joy as a collective, as a collective thing. Like when I feel joy, it always has to do with something larger than myself. I think, mm-hmm. um, whether it's like relationships with other beings, not necessarily human beings, etc. You know, and so I think that like, again, cultivating a place where you can um, approach, whether it's grief uh, whether it is the events of the day, whether it is like the super mundane, you know, um, I think that that makes space for joy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which brings me directly to, to this phrase towards wonder, Mm. which is the title of the workshop you'll be leading for us in April. Um, and which I think the phrase really encapsulates, um, your work and what we strive for as a community, right? And to take the truth and and turn our faces towards wonder the way that plants turn towards the sun, right? This is what we need. Wonder to renew our daily experiences, um, to see anew. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit, I wondered if, um, you could talk a little bit about what what wonder means to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how you uh, how you sharpen that? Yeah. Sort of that sensitivity, that sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I can't begin the conversation without um, naming, you know, like a personal and collective grief around here. You know, we lost a dear, dear like, essentially my de facto brother-in-law, um, lover to Nikki, father to Kaya, like, homie to like. This whole community of folks um, co-founded a DJ school called Cable Tutors, DJ Wondercut, Eric Cardenum. And um, he in his passing brought so many folks together and reminded us of his approach toward DJing and making music. And as a as a teacher and as a father, it was always one of Um, there's a story that's not mine to tell but a a repeated relational moment between himself and Kaya that is very specifically about his wonderment at her and like and her curiosity you know Mm -hmm. and um, and I think that this also like dovetails with you know one of my original wounds is doubt and like a I generally move through the world with like a like a devastating amount of self doubt at all times. <laughs> um, and the thing that's older than doubt, and this came up in a poem I was writing, and it came up in a in like um, meditation and things I've been listening to, and it, and it comes up in the workshops, is um, is that curiosity is older than doubt, mm. and like and wonderment is like because wonder is about something larger than yourself i believe you know and because wonderment is is like about allowing yourself to be affected in this way um i think that it like there's few things that can undercut doubt more than wonder can you know and i think it cuts through so many things and i mean like again you know I go back to our conversation about the anthology and how do we select and like, you know, I could rephrase some of the things we said with like, choose the poem that gives you the most wonder, Mm. you know, I could, I could, um, and I mean, make the decision that gives you the most wonder and move towards like the approach when it comes to writing, uh, gives me the most wonder and so like whether it's grief loss joy um whether it's the mundane you know like if you can find wonderment in that um i think that's where the magic lies and so like that's like when i go to sit if i want to invite people to write and i really like i didn't understand the reason i one of the other reasons i brought eric up is like i didn't understand how crucial that was to me until it was lensed through him mm. you know and through his wonderment and the wonderment that he engendered in us even at the height of our panic when we were searching for him um that like and the wonderment he engendered us for each other as we like witnessed each other being like the most beautiful versions of ourselves in holding each other in our grief Mm -hmm. I think that that's another thing when you talk about like when we talk about grief unfortunately but also fortunately like sometimes we see the most amazing parts of each other when we have to hold someone else you know like we become like really full in our humanity you know and I think that if we can invite that to the writing process to like the fullness of our humanity. You know, I think that wonderment is a way to do that. So I hope that that's something that I can do in a workshop. And I hope that that's something that I can do when I go to sit down on the page later today, you know?
0: Yeah. It's so beautiful. And, and, and as you were talking about it, I was just thinking about how the relationship between wonder and uncertainty, wonder and doubt I mean, they're the same thing, just a decision to be delighted by it versus Mm -hmm. a decision to be uncomfortable because you think you're supposed to know.
1: Right. Um, Or to move into that discomfort, to be like, what is here? Like, like wonderment allows the curiosity to be to ask questions, you know? And I think that you said that about like, when I'm not looking for answers and when I'm not looking for certainty, um, for lack of a better phrase, the truest things come. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So beautiful. Well, I think, um, I think we're all so, so, so fortunate to have you um, distilling the lessons, the hard and beautiful lessons of living um, on the page and then sharing your wisdom in workshops. So grateful for you and for all of the ways that you build and spread community and wonder. Thank you. Mutual, mutual, mutual. Thank you, Sima. Thank you so much for listening to United Against Silence. I'm Sima Reza, and I hope we see you at a workshop soon. You can see our full schedule at www.cbaw.org. We're looking forward to being in community with you.